I'm so happy to see everyone joining us from various parts of our country and super grateful to have this new partnership with Melissa and Caregiver Wellness Retreat. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with AARP. Um, first, let me start off by saying we are not an insurance company. There's still a lot of people who think we are an insurance company, but we are the largest nonprofit in the U.S. We're a nonpartisan organization, and we help to empower the 50-plus community through various issues. One of them, of course, and one of the most important focus areas for my work here in Houston and in Texas is caregiver education. We are well aware of the hard work that caregivers put in day in, day out um, to care for their loved ones. And we want to be able to provide resources and information um, so that you all can not just take care of your loved one, but make sure that you take care of yourself. That is one of the most important steps is self-care. And we want to ensure that we form partnerships like today's um, through this Mindful Mondays Caregiver Series that is going to be every two weeks with Melissa to just provide you all an opportunity to talk with one another, to share information, to, again, remind yourselves that you are not alone. Um, here in Texas, there are 3.4 million caregivers in the state. Um, and we know that of these caregivers, they provide a total of $470 million of unpaid care. If you were to put a dollar amount on that, that is a lot of, again, uh, a big amount, 470 million. We know that three in five caregivers are women and two in five are men. So part of my work is also to reach the non-traditional caregiver, the male caregivers, there are millennial caregivers, there are caregivers who are in college. Um, we take into account every caregiver's journey is different depending on your culture and your demographic. A Latino caregiver might have different needs than African-American and also depending on the age and where you are in your life. So with that, I wanna give you a website and I'll make sure and put it on the chat as well. aarp.org forward slash caregiving. We have a guide there. It's a free guide. It's a prepare to care guide, which outlines an opportunity for you to create a plan, how to divide up responsibilities, how to look at your finances, how to look at a checklist, um, even how to find national and local resources. And all of this is free. Again, aarp.org forward slash caregiving. And on our website, I am in Houston. I'm an Associate State Director of Outreach and Advocacy. Um, you can go to aarp.org forward slash Houston to find more information, including a podcast that we have for caregivers that provides uh, information and resources as well. So I'm very happy to be here. I hope you enjoy the program with Melissa. Just hearing her voice is so soothing. I'm sure you all will um, enjoy it. And thank you for giving AARP an opportunity to be here with you. Thank you, Rosalinda. I feel really so grateful to have the opportunity to share really kind of a little bit out of my own experience and, and how we share with caregivers. And so I'll share a little bit about myself and then we'll dive into what the menu for this hour is. And a lot of it will be experiential. Um, and that to me is one of the best ways to learn is to pick up these tools and put them in our pocket so that we have access to different ways to handle and, and cope all of these situations that come up in our life as we're as we're doing things. And I know some of you here aren't aren't caregivers or maybe you've you've uh, found out about this about based on the topic of grief and and how to have some tools for that. So I just want to say that everyone is welcome and I'm so glad that you're here. 
So I actually began Caregiver Wellness Retreat um, out of uh, a desire to serve and a desire to, to really just sort of take my own grief and channel it and, and funnel it into something that I could possibly do. My father was a caregiver for my stepmother for about 10 years and she had early onset Alzheimer's. And he was amazing and diligent and exhausted. And so I'm sure many of you can relate to just the incessant demands and really that your time is not your own as a caregiver. And what I noticed most about my dad was that he wasn't noticing the changes in his own self-care as he was taking care of her. That was his utmost priority. And although he was doing things, he just didn't really see the cumulative toll that it was beginning to take. So one thing that I know how to do is wellness. <laughs> and so I created a one day retreat just outside of Houston. I know uh, some of you have been there uh, at our retreat and it's a, it's a real blessing to be able to offer that for caregivers. And we were able to utilize that to give immediate tools for caregivers. And so it felt like something that I could do. I'm curious how many of you have taken whatever your grief or loss is and begun to transform that into some kind of compassionate action. If you have, you can type that into the chat box. I would love to hear about what it is that you're doing in order to, to give and to receive. I also am well aware that there are seasons and sometimes it's just not the season for that. It's the time and the season to be receiving. So being able to, to offer this and offer sort of a bucket of tools, one of the best um, ways that, that I can help communicate in, in terms of our, what our mission is, is that wellness isn't just, let's say mindfulness, or it isn't just eating right, or it isn't just um, you know making sure we have some sort of self-care. It's really an overall picture of how we maintain our sense of self and resiliency. And so if you can think about resiliency in terms of what is it that helps us create roots in order that we can flourish. And sometimes really there are seasons to that. Um, Let's do a, a short visualization as, as an example. So however you are right now is absolutely perfect. So if you're seated or maybe even sitting a lot, if you wanna stand up, you could do that. Take a moment to just look around your room. So you can look what's beyond your, your computer or maybe if you have a window nearby, you can let your eyes fall on something out there. And notice what your eye catches. Is it, is it something colorful? Is it something beautiful? Is it something that creates or has a memory attachment for you? And as your eyes rest on it softly, begin to notice how it makes you feel when you gaze at it. Does the jaw soften? Do the shoulders soften? Is there something that you can notice about it that maybe you haven't before, a little detail? 
Maybe the colors feel really sharp. And then begin to take in just for a moment. You can continue to look at it or you could close your eyes and visualize it. Just for a moment, notice, how do I feel when I notice this, this memory, this thing of beauty, this thing that soothes me? How do I feel? And so a feeling might come up in terms of maybe warmth around the heart or a flutter of the stomach if there's a strong attachment to that thing, or it might be a softness that comes over you, or it might even be that you become alert. And then notice a little bit beyond that, is there an emotion that comes up when you look at that? Is there joy? Is there sadness? Is there gratitude? Is there neutral feelings? Notice what you notice. And then just for a moment, let that rest as if you were washing dishes and the water just drains down the sink. And then very subtly tune into just the ease of the breath. And if it doesn't feel right for you to focus on the breath, you could focus on the edge of the nose and the temperature of what comes in and what comes out. We'll take just a couple more breaths together. Noticing that we're all breathing corporately together. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. I'm curious if there was a particular feeling that came up for you when you did that visualization. And you could type it into the chat or you could unmute yourself if you wish. Gratitude. And so my question then with the gratitude, did it show up as a sensation in your body anywhere? Like a warmth or um, a relaxation or um, maybe a lightness. A softening in your feet. Okay. So this is a really interesting thing to tether. When we can begin to notice and a common sensation you might notice in your body sometimes might be my jaw feels really tight. Or you might notice that when you're speaking to someone that you clench your hands or, um, or your shoulders rise up to your ears and, and you feel uh, like the shoulders become a block <laughs> or hard. So a sensation is what's happening. Yeah, Linda says a warmth around my heart. Yeah, 
So sensation is being able to attune to what it feels like and untangling um, how we can attune to what's actually physiologically happening in our body. And then the emotion is how we express that physiological sensation. So it works in reverse as well. So for example, when, when, I, uh, when someone typed in there, well, I felt gratitude, then you could notice, well, what is gratitude? What is that feeling like in my body? It's a warmth, it's a tenderness, um, or uh, someone else put that they felt calm and then they felt their feet soften. And so the reverse can happen. Can you notice when your feet softens that you can begin to feel calm. So what if you bent down and just touch the feet or relax the feet? And would that trigger a sense of calm? Or if you notice, um, uh, you know, warmth, can you attach that to that sense of gratitude and begin to feel grateful? So it's a tool to put in your pocket in terms of how can we make a, a switch really quickly in our body's nervous system and our physiological response to something and use it as a tool to be able to respond in a mindful way. So this brings me to our definition of mindfulness. So mindfulness to me, is that moment in which I become aware of something, that moment in which I recognize something is happening. And then there's a pause, there's a space. And then it's that next moment where I have the ability to either act or react. And that pause gives me a choice. If there's not a pause, then usually it's a reaction or an embodied process. And sometimes when we pull out a positive tool, that's a really good thing. <laughs> but if our habit is a negative tool, like something that numbs us, something that like, um, you know, isn't necessarily a positive coping strategy, um, then, then we've missed the pause. So I'm really curious about, is there, is there anything right now that you're experiencing today that a pause would be useful for? <laughs> Just curious. <laughs> Maybe a few? Yes. Okay. Uh, such a rhetorical question and leading, sorry. <laughs> but I, I think it's useful to, to begin to connect that. And also, I think we also make a lot of it. We think that um, we need to be really good at mindfulness in order to use it. Or we need to be really good at whatever this task is before it can be useful to us. But in actuality, it's about the practice. It's just about noticing it first, hitting the pause, and then you can choose. Linda, do you want to unmute yourself? Yes, thank you. Um, I just 
for the exercise, right in front of me above my computer monitor is a stained glass window that one of my friend's fathers made for me probably 40 years ago. Mm. And it's been hanging there for 40 years. And um, I never noticed how beautiful the colors and the shape. And, and then as I looked at the, the glass, I remembered him and yeah, you know, he's passed away now. I remember how he was like a second father to, to me and my daughter. And his his daughter is my one of my very best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so it and she her husband is also going through this journey. And uh, she couldn't be here today because they're having, you know issues with plumbing after the freeze we just went through. So then I started thinking about how special our friendship is and how grateful I am for having power and water in a hot shower. And then I noticed behind the glass how beautiful the weather is. And I, um, I just felt so blessed to have this time to sit and just reflect on on those things and I thank you for that Mm, you're welcome thank you for sharing that Linda isn't that so interesting and so true I think um I was experiencing a class this weekend where the professor gave us an opportunity um a full hour to do an assignment and I and I just felt it was so luxurious I had permission to do what I needed to do. And it didn't feel like I had to squeeze it in. It was, it was time that was gifted to me. And I know as caregivers, we often feel we just don't have that time. It feels like a luxury. It feels like um, uh, something we have to be so intentional with. And I, I believe that's true, that there's intention, but I also think how quickly that little exercise was that we did it was probably under three minutes. We took time to notice. And I would venture to say, if you, if you thought about how many moments that you really aren't savoring, you are looking at things. <laughs> so you could then choose how you pause to look choose how you pause to notice and notice how different that is this week. I wanted to share a little bit more of our, our menu together. Uh, I'm going to show uh, share my screen in just a moment uh, and share just a little video. Then we'll have a, a little bit of a check-in um, where if you have a pen and paper, you might want to jot down And we'll do a similar, probably different each time, a similar check-in. Know that the format, uh, I tend to, uh, you you won't get the same thing all the time. So I hope that you continue to come back to these sessions because we'll have different tools that we'll utilize together and practice together. So the first tool that we've practiced was just really simply noticing, pausing, and then 
making a choice. So it, at its simplistic sense, that is really the essence of mindfulness. And then we're going to take a look at just a little bit of applying grief and resiliency, and then we'll close out our time together. So and at any time, you guys can put in the chat. If you are watching this on a later recording in YouTube, you can always comment there, and I'll come back and check that. So in regards to sharing my screen, I have something I'd like to show you. So hang on just one moment. And I will navigate technology to the best of my ability. <laughs> uh, anyone else technology challenged? Yes, I'm actually getting better. But I, what I found really interesting about all of this is that um, it's probably very similar to caregiving in that technology is its own, it's its own it's entity and it has a mind of its own. <laughs> <laughs> it may decide to go out. It may decide to uh, create rough waters and where the, the sound isn't the best. And so I found technology a very useful tool in learning how much I wish to control my environment and how that is not always possible. So how I can release some of that control. Okay, so just one moment here while I, I pull this up. Let's see. There we go. All right. And so take a moment. Um, it's a very short clip. Uh, to really let your eyes scan it and experience it. So... Optimism. More and more I have come to admire resilience. Not the simple resistance of a pillow, whose foam returns over and over to the same shape, but the sinuous tenacity of a tree. Finding the light newly blocked on one side, it turns in another. A blind intelligence, true. But out of such persistence arose turtles, rivers, mitochondria, figs, all this resinous, unretractable earth. I'm curious, and I'm going to read that to you again. I know the, the sound was just a little bit low. I am curious. How many of you have ever seen a weed or a flower or something growing in the crack of a sidewalk? Yeah. And you think, how in the world? <laughs> how in the world did that possibly happen? Our, our neighbor just down the street, uh, sunflowers are pretty common in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And um, I don't know if it's intentional, but they have sunflowers all in the cracks of the sidewalks, just right in front of their home. And I just think about, not only is it pretty miraculous, but I reflect 
on that idea of a metaphor between what we experience. So we'll do one more uh, visualization and then I'll read to you the poem that we just listened to again. So allow yourself to be comfortable however you are. You could take a low gaze if you're not comfortable closing the eyes, but you can also close the eyes. So take a moment to visualize, maybe it's your favorite tree or favorite flower. And visualize the soil in which it would grow. Is it hard? Is it rocky? What is the soil like? The terrain itself, is it grassy? And then begin to imagine this little seedling beginning to grow. What does it look like? Does it appear fragile? Does it appear thorny? How quickly does it grow? If you've ever watched something grow, <laughs> what is it like to, to watch and wait? It takes the time it takes. And as you continue to imagine this favorite tree or flower beginning to grow, what season is it? Is it the cusp of spring? Is it a late bloomer? Is it toward the end of a season? And then take a few more moments to just begin to imagine that the season transitions. So your little plant or flower or tree just is how it is and the seasons change. How will it weather the next season? What is its resiliency like? Can you begin to imagine the strength of its roots. And then again, allow the seasons to change again in your mind. Is it warm or cool? Is it temperate? Is it agreeable? Is your flower or tree appreciative of this season or is it really struggling? And take a moment here to move through one more season. So we've moved through at least three. Is it getting the nourishment it needs? You could imagine the rain and the sun, everything is, is offering what it can. And then it comes into the fourth season, moving upon a year of growth. Notice what's different. How much more does that tree know now 
than it did earlier. How much is it communicating with its roots, its connectivity with the other plants around it? Or is it alone? Just notice that. And then take a moment to just notice your own body, what it was like to visualize that and notice just taking that moment for creativity in the brain, how your body feels. And then if you have a piece of paper and you'd like to take the next minute to just jot down a few things. Maybe if you'd like to draw, you could sketch a little what your flower looks like or your tree, or you could jot down a single word of how that made you feel. Just take a moment for that. And as you're doing that, I'm gonna read to you our poem. This is by Jane Hirschfield. She's one of my favorite poets. And the title of the poem that I read to you is, or that you saw the, um, the stop animation. Uh, it was actually a paper artist. The title of the poem is Optimism. More and more I have come to admire resilience not the simple resistance of a pillow whose foam returns over and over to the same shape, but the sinuous tenacity of a tree, finding the lightly newly blocked on one side, it turns in another. A blind intelligence, true, but out of such persistence arose turtles and rivers and mitochondria and figs, all in this resinous, unretractable earth. The tenacity. Finding the light newly blocked on one side, it turns to the other. So take just a moment to think as that plant would, if you've ever noticed how plants, you know, grow into the sun, how amazing. How we can turn our face and our light toward the sun to be nourished. We have that ability as well. I am, do not have a green thumb. Does anyone have a green thumb here? Marlene does. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mother had a green thumb. You can see plants behind me, but it's because many of them have been replaced. <laughs> and I love plants. Um, but one thing I've noticed in this last year of a new routine of being home I have been able to give more love and care and attention to my plants than I ever have in my life. <laughs> in fact, I have these little sprigs in my kitchen window 
and they're so small, but every day they've grown toward the sun. So the next morning I rotate it around, make my coffee and leave. And then I come back the next day and the leaves are toward the sun and I just rotate it. It's become part of my little, my noticing routine. My habit to pause. And so I'll ask you right now to reflect for a moment. Is there something that you could pause and notice in your own home without even leaving the house? I find it's really, I don't know how many of you find it hard to start a new habit. Anyone else besides me? <laughs> so one of the the little tricks that I use for my brain is when I'm trying to create something new, first of all, I start with something that isn't terrible. <laughs> like don't pick a habit like, I know I need to exercise, so that's gonna be my new thing. Pick something a little easier or that you're less resistant to for your first one. <laughs> so for me, it was the turning of the plant and I started to associate that with a habit that I never miss, which is drinking coffee. So if you have a, a beverage ritual in the morning, how many of you ever miss your be beverage ritual? Tea, coffee, yeah, you miss it sometimes, maybe you forget. <laughs> um, but you could also think about, you may not miss lunch or there might be a certain meal you never miss. And so is there a noticing habit that you can attach to something that you already do? So it's super easy for me to attach this, this rotation of the plant and a moment to pause and really appreciate the beauty and the glossy green of the new leaves that have popped out this week. To attach that to something that I already enjoy. I love the ritual of making coffee. I have a certain way I do it and all of these things and it brings me actually a lot of joy. <laughs> um, someone wrote, she started turning her orchids. Lovely. Yeah. And someone else commented that bad habits are easy to start. Yes. But then it also begins with what battles are really interesting and important for you. So oftentimes when we need to create a new habit, and I'll, I'll say, for example, Lakshmi, I'm just going to ask you to mute yourself, if you will. Um, the, uh, when we're creating something new, sometimes it's out of a sense of urgency and we have no other choice. So many of the responsibilities that you've had to create in caring for someone else, you had no choice. And there's new habits and new things and things that must be done because they are responsibilities. But sometimes there are things within your own self. So for example, um, I use my father as an example. Um, his blood pressure is really high. So suddenly he's had to take that very seriously. So some new habits are starting and some things and it's out of an urgency. But oftentimes we can create new things that aren't necessarily urgent but we're just excited enough about them that they bring us a little joy. So maybe, for example, um, 
you can reflect for a moment on something that brings you joy. Maybe jot a few things down. I love to read. I love to be outside in nature. Love to spend time with my husband and my son. Is that always a priority for me? No, sadly not. There are many days sometimes where my husband has to take me by the hand and say, it's time to go for a walk. <laughs> Let's go outside. <laughs> and so uh, it physically takes me and we do that. It's not that I don't want to be doing this. Of course I do. I love it. It's, it's something that brings me joy. But that's where a new habit has to become intentional. And when you can tie it in with other things that bring you joy, then you're more likely to succeed. And of course, we don't want to start to create a whole bucket of new habits. You start with one and choose a time frame for consistency. So with the walks, I've actually told my husband several times a week, you actually have to take me by the hand and make me stop what I'm doing. And we go together. And he does. He doesn't allow me to make an excuse. <laughs> he doesn't allow me to say five more minutes. <laughs> and we go. And we're better for it. I always feel better. Anybody feel better when you do something that brings you joy? Of course. Sometimes it's just that little hump of deciding to do it. Yeah. So let's pause for a second. We've used a couple of skills. We've, we've taken a look at uh, the difference between sensations and feelings and the connection between that and how powerful that is. We've also uh, did a mindful uh, visualization and reflection. So looking at something um, in our mind's eye that's growing, that's changing, that's shifting. So looking at that in terms of resiliency, I'm curious how many of you would, um, how would you define resiliency? Anyone wanna share? Being able to bounce back. Yeah, beautiful. Anyone else? Take a tough situation and turn it around so that it might not be it might not be the same reactions that you have but different reactions that are a much better choice beautiful so i've heard several things the ability to kind of come out like almost a phoenix right out of a out of a fire or an experience and then also being able to reflect and look back on something so that, you know, lessons learned. And being an experiential learner is a tough way to go, I think. <laughs> if you always have to, I was explaining this to my 15 year old, if you always have to touch a stove to know that it's hot, then life's gonna be a little harder. <laughs> Um, but if, if uh, you can learn from other people's stories, anecdotes, and experiences, then growth is a little, little less rocky, which is why I think you're here. And I would venture to say, is it 
is a huge part of of this and of the resiliency is being open and that's kind of the the dual duality of resiliency is that we have this ability to be a warrior and have strong armor and to be that little seedling or sapling and be able to grow into something but the sapling is also vulnerable vulnerable to the weather or vulnerable to the lack of rain or vulnerable to the outside environment, someone coming and stepping on it or picking it or what, you know, things that are out of our control. And so it has this real um, warrior and caregiver quality to it. And really all of us do, all of us have these elements. So the next tool that I'll, I'll give you for your bucket is to reflect for a moment and a time in your life in which you were really resilient, where you had a situation that you were able to, to have this warrior-like quality and yet some tender vulnerability to learn from it. If it's helpful to jot down what the situation was, you could do that. Maybe you could even picture it. And reflect for a moment how it felt to have that grit, that determination. What was it like to walk through the challenge, the fire, the difficulty, and come out on the other side? Notice how you feel just reflecting on your ability to be on the other side of that difficulty. There's a wonderful book um, by Rick Hansen called Neurodharma and he is a psychologist and he explores this idea of grit and resiliency and the brain research is right there with it. When we have the ability and the capacity to look back, not in order to regret, not in order to, to um, sit or wallow in <laughs> or begin to feel the unworthiness, but instead look back to, to resource strength, that's when next time we're able to tap into that sooner. It doesn't mean we're not going to have it. It doesn't mean that next challenge will be greater. Or less. I mean, you know, who knows what the next challenge will be, but how quickly can we tap into that sense of resiliency and have that knowing that we have the fortitude, the grit and the ability to withstand in our visualization, we did uh, imagined four seasons. What were your seasons? Does anyone want to share? I found the winter season and the fall, instead of um, thinking of it as a death, I thought of it as a transformation in which it was a flower and the plant dies 
or withers, not dies, just transforms into something else that helps to nourish that plant and improve the roots so that it can reemerge the next season. And I appreciate the distinction between just withering or even the word that came to mind when I heard you is dormant. Just dormancy, that, that period of waiting. Waiting. And someone wrote here in the comments, I think that is what makes this journey so hard to know that it keeps coming and gets harder as it progresses. Yeah. And also, I think what's really interesting about looking at our experiences in terms of seasons is that that's exactly what change is. And yes, sometimes our circumstances are going to get a little more challenging before another change happens. But what's guaranteed <laughs> is change, <laughs> right? Which is so hard to swallow in a time of, of a pandemic uh, to imagine change, but it certainly does. In fact, if you think back even to a year ago, right? We're almost a year into change. And it's certainly different than it was back then. And it will continue to be. And so where our grit comes from and our ability to resource, which is so valuable, is our ability to know that we can continue to be with whatever this experience is. And so that brings me to our, our last segment that I wanna share with you is just a little, a little about grief today. And uh, Marlene wrote, just wait, everything changes. It's my, it's my husband's favorite saying, if I'm, if I'm anxious or something, he goes, just wait longer. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> just wait longer. Um, so yeah. Uh, and, and it's interesting because when, when we ask caregivers, whenever they fill out um, a form for one of our free retreats, what is your biggest challenge? I would say more than 50% of the caregivers put patience as a challenge, just patience. And that is so universal because we wanna hurry up and we want to uh, already be done with it or, or don't even wanna process it. And the way that grief is if you are human, you will grieve and you will lose things. It is a part of the life process and it just is. One of the interesting things that I have found in my studies with grief um, is, is to begin to understand that loss and grief can take so many different forms. And so, in processing, for example, the loss of my stepmother to early onset, the type of grief that that would be with dementia is an ambiguous loss. But it's meaning she was physically present, but completely absent mentally. And 
it was also a complicated grief, meaning you're dealing with these little deaths of her personality all throughout your experience. And it was a long period, it's 10, more than 10 years alone, just my dad caring for her and then another three in a memory care facility. So there was this grieving that happened and then it becomes complicated because then when she dies, there's another grief of the body, of her physical body, of her presence being there. And then there's these other things that we're all experiencing together, such as complicate, um, such as um, collective grief rather. I don't know if you've thought about the pandemic in terms of how we are universally, all of us in the entire world is experiencing some kind of loss. And when I can think of it that way, there's something that shifts inside of me in terms of my capacity to hold my own grief and to be with another in their grief. If, you, if you're ever familiar with, um, I highly recommend a little, a little Google after this, uh, Brene Brown's talk on the difference between empathy and sympathy. If you haven't seen it, it's a cute little animation. I'm usually full of uh, visual effects, but, but I don't have that one pulled up for you. But as she talks about it um, in her typical Texas humor, uh, she talks about empathy is, is being able to be with, um, I'm sorry, that's it. No, nothing else needed to be said. I don't really know what to say. I'm just gonna be with you. And sympathy is, let me fix you a sandwich. What can I do? How can I fix it? <laughs> you don't need to cry. You know, all of these things that we've been told about how to experience our grief, sympathy wants to fix it. Sympathy wants to put everything right. And so what I have found in this experience of collective grief is that probably each one of us can tap into maybe a little loss. It doesn't have to be your caregiving. One of the losses that I experienced in this time frame was a change in my career. I was a traveling teacher and suddenly I'm at home 24 seven. <laughs> it was completely taken and there was no choice. And so, and I know so many people can relate to that. And what that has done for me is I can now look at a caregiver who's had to stay at home prior to the pandemic, 24 seven maybe, or a very limited ability to get things done or run an errand on their own time or have their own free time. And I can just be with that and have a sense of understanding, certainly not to the capacity to what they're experiencing, but I can go, wow, I see it now and I see you and how hard that must be. And I don't have to like fix it because I can't really, 
but I can see you fully. So taking these, these opportunities to explore, and that might be my challenge for you all over the next two weeks before we meet again, could you make a little list of some of these losses? And again, not to wallow in or to have you know uh, guilt or, or or those things, but it's it's to also appreciate the fullness of what you're experiencing. And there'll be maybe some things that pop pop up for you that you think. How can I honor, memorialize, or just be with this loss rather than pretend it's not there? One example that I'll share with you is I had a physical injury where I couldn't, I was doing one style of teaching of movement, then I could no longer do it. Like it was just gone. And so I think it's important to acknowledge when our physical body changes, it's okay to grieve that loss and change as well. Or even if our loved one or the person that we care for their capacity changes. It's okay to spend some time reflecting on that loss and the difference. And so to kind of honor that change for me, I started doing a little more meditation, which was not my thing, believe it or not. <laughs> but trying to honor my body as it was, not how I wanted it to be. How can I honor what I have rather than what I think I should be able to do? How can I be with what's there? And another example might be uh, a loss of a pet. Maybe somebody has downplayed that for you or told you to get over it really quickly or maybe you should just get another pet <laughs> or maybe spending some time with how you could honor that life. It could be maybe you set a little picture by your desk or reflect and journal on some happy memories? Is there a way to memorialize that and move through it instead of around it? So my suggestion for homework isn't, isn't uh, to pick the hardest loss. <laughs> Maybe you pick a little softer loss. How can I honor how can I memorialize or just be with it? We're going to finish today. I want to honor your time with a couple of breaths. So however you are is perfect. We'll just take a gentle breath together. So feel the breath at the edge of the nose. 
as you exhale, imagine that exhale just nourishing the soil underneath you. Maybe there's residual, maybe there's something that just needs to go down through your feet. Let's breathe in again together, soft at the tip of the nose. And as you exhale, you're taking that loss, that grief, or whatever is present with you in this moment and nourishing the ground underneath you. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. And so if you want to connect more with myself or the free retreats that Caregiver Wellness Retreat offers, it's caregiverwellnessretreat.com. And I hope that we can connect again in the future.